guys, this is Paddy and we have another question. This one is from a listener in Accra and his question reads, how do we reconcile predestination, free will and God's omniscience or sovereignty? Is it possible for all three to work together and be independent of one another? If God knew the end from the beginning, then we do not have free will. We've been set up to do what he has envisioned. Wow, it's a very powerful question. What 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 the question seeks to know, what the person seeks to know is predestination, free will, and God's sovereignty. Can they coexist? Right? Because God is a, a, a being, God is a volitional being, meaning God has a will, he has the ability to make his own choices and take his own decisions. And human beings are also volitional beings, meaning we also have, have a will, we also can make our own choices. But we are existing in the same universe as um, a sovereign God, you know, who knows everything. And so the concern here is, do our choices matter? Is our will really free? When we make choices, are they real? Or we've just, we've just been set up to fulfill some predeterminate mechanism, right? So this question is interesting because it, it's both philosophical and theological. So would have to answer on both um, levels in order to have a, a meaningful balanced answer all right in the 19th century there was this guy called um edmund hassel edmund hassel was a philosopher and he developed a school of thought called personalism and personalism um all that it was about is to was to answer the question of what differentiates a human being from a thing what makes something a human being right what makes you a human being and not a thing and the answer to this question that he developed is that what makes a human being a human being is that human beings have the ability to um, act intentionally we are we are people who can um, act with intentionality all right so that means that we can have a purpose we can set a purpose and make choices to achieve that purpose all right, so central to him, for Hassel, what made a human being a human being is the ability to choose. That was a central theme for him. And he had two disciples or two students. One was called Jean-Paul Sartre. Sartre is spelled S-A-R-T-R-E, right? And the other one was called Martin um, um, Heidegger. These two guys were so preoccupied with human volition, free will, freedom, and all these things. And they are atheists, both of them, they are atheists. So in the 20th century, they did a lot of work on human freedom and what have you. And Jean-Paul Sartre came to a conclusion that human beings cannot be truly free and have a sovereign God existing in the same universe. In other words, if human beings are truly free, then there is no God. And if there's a God, the human beings are not truly free. So, in effect, the existence of human will or human freedom, in his view, was the strongest evidence or proof that God doesn't exist. Because what what we know for sure is that human beings exist, and human beings have a free will, and um, um, human beings um, can exercise that free will. So, because of that there can't be a God who is sovereign and can know all things and can and can know things that are about to happen. You understand what I'm saying? Um, it's just like um, 
putting two things that are contrary in the same universe. Like for instance, we can all conceive in our minds that there can be an irresistible force. A force that nothing can stand. It can move everything, right? And we can also conceive in our mind that there can be something that is unmovable, an immovable object. But what we can't conceive is the coexistence of these two. Do you understand? So like, we can have an irresistible force existing alone, no problem. We can have the existence of an immovable, immovable object, no problem. But immediately the issue of coexistence coming, can these two exist in the same universe? Then it becomes a problem because if an irresistible force comes into contact with an immovable object and the object moves, what does it tell you about the object? That the object wasn't immovable in the first place. Alright, it just hadn't met a force that could move it. Or if an irresistible force comes to contact with an immovable object and the object doesn't move, what does it say about the force? That the force is not irresistible. Alright, it just hadn't come into contact with, with um, something that could move it. Alright, so Sartre was arguing that um, humans with free will and a sovereign God are mutually exclusive. They can't coexist. Both of them cannot exist at the same time, right? But the thing that informed this kind of conclusion was his definition for freedom. And to him, freedom means autonomy. Alright? Um, when, when, when we say autonomy, what we are meaning is well, auto, autonomy is a compound word. It's two words put together. Auto means self, automatic, right? Self-regulation or automobile, moving by itself. Nomos. Nomos is a Greek word meaning law. Autonomous. Autonomy meaning self-law or self-rule. If I have, if I rule myself, right, and I'm not accountable to any other person outside of myself, I make my own decisions. Then I cannot have any sovereign God who is. You know, imposing his will from on me from above. Do you get the whole argument, right? So this was his um, this was his theory, and the his his definition of freedom being autonomy, or that in order for you to be truly free, then you have to be autonomous, meaning you you, you don't have to be accountable to anybody. That was the problem. Because immediately you start viewing human will or human freedom as autonomous, holding no account to anybody or anything, then we have the problem of not being able to exist with a sovereign being. This is philosophy, okay? <laughs> don't get don't get confused. Stay with me, all right? What we are saying is that, all right. The question the question was asking that. God knows everything. And so, there's nothing that we can do to surprise him. And so, it means that all the things that we are doing on this earth, right? he already knows. <laughs> He's not surprised by anything that we are doing. Then it means that we are just puppets. We are just fulfilling his grand scheme of things. Right? All the choices that we are making is not real. We are being controlled by him. That's what it means. Pre- we are predetermined. Okay, and 
I'm saying that there was this philosopher called Jean-Paul Sartre who was building a theory based on his, his mentor, one of his mentors called Hassel. And Hassel said that what makes a human being a human being is his ability to choose. And Sartre built on that and said that if it is true that we can choose and we have our own will, then it's, it is proof that there's no God. Because if there's a God who knows everything, then it means our choices are useless, they are baseless. Alright, and I'm saying that that is the problem. That definition of the fact that human freedom means autonomy is not true. Because the Bible says so. And you ask, where does the Bible say that <laughs> human freedom it doesn't mean autonomy? Alright, in the beginning, right? When God made heaven and earth and he made human beings and put human beings in a garden, he told them that you can eat of all the trees in the garden freely, right? This was the first introduction to the concept of freedom in the Bible. When he told them that, oh, you can, you have, you can have access to everything, but you can't touch this one. This particular tree, don't touch it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't touch it. The day you touch it, you will die. So right from the onset, you see human beings being given their, their right or their freedom their, or their ability to choose to do everything except one particular thing. Okay, so right from the onset, the sovereignty of God doesn't clash with the free will of man. Why? Because the free will of man is subject to the sovereignty of God, number one. Number two, the free will of man and the sovereignty of God are parallel. They don't meet. Our will and our choices, and they don't intersect or cross with God's sovereignty. Do you understand what is going on here? And so the the idea that we can do what we like and we are not accountable to anybody, that is what is informing us to think that if if we can really choose and we are truly free then there can't be God other than that then our choices are futile they don't mean much alright so in the beginning what God gave man was a choice but our choices were limited what does this mean in the doctrine of providence we we also talk about concurrence how can there be a choice of God and a choice of man and at the same time God God's choice doesn't annihilate or or cancel out the choices of man the answer to that question is that the two which is the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man or the choices of man they are parallel alright the two the two of them are different but they exist at the same time and they don't cancel out each other for instance right let me let me use another example maybe to make it clearer light okay light is um, a, a form of energy when you look at light in a certain angle right if you look at it in a certain sense light is particles but if you look at it in another sense, light is waves. 
but light is both when if light is particles then it can't be waves if you're a scientist then you understand what i'm saying if light is particles then it can't be waves and if light is waves it can be particles so scientists knowing that light is both waves and particles at the same time decided to coin a term that will capture both of these truths and so they say that light is something called photons the, the energy that light produces is called photons because it is true that light is waves and it is true that life light is also particles but since the two of them cannot exist at the same time two of them cannot intersect then let's find a term that will that will capture both realities or both truths at the same time that's what i'm saying that god's sovereignty and man's free will they look like they are mutually exclusive that when one exists the other one cannot exist but they are both true and parallel in that god is sovereign and he knows all things but he has made the world and 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 everything such that our choices will also count for something both are true and they don't meet at any point except in the mind of god all right so this is the this is the um, philosophical angle. I will come back to the philosophy because the philosophy is very very interesting, right? But let let's look at it um, theologically also, right? Then we can um, have some answers from the Bible. Now, if we compare this, if we bring this concept to salvation, the the, the idea of salvation, you know, one way you can look at this question also is that if God knows everything that we will do and if god has predetermined everything then it also means that he knows those who go to heaven and those who go to hell have you have you thought about that before if god knows everything that is about to happen and he's sovereign and you know he has all knowledge omniscient then it means that he knows he already knows those who go to heaven and those who go to hell right then so this whole salvation thing is set up so how can salvation be real if God knows everything, that's your question, right? Good. In John 3, Jesus was speaking, right? John 3 is one of the most popular chapters in the whole Bible. Jesus was speaking. And, you know, I've already answered the question. I said that the two of them are parallel truths that can never intersect, right? And the human mind lacks the ability to harmonize these two things. But in the mind of God, they are harmonized. But because we cannot understand this, we don't want to accept it. We don't, we, we don't want to accept that the two can coexist and it is possible. So, so look at this. Look at this in the Bible, right? In John 3, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, right? And in from verse 1 to 10, right? Because of time, we cannot read it. So um, if you can read it on your own, that would be really powerful. In, in, in verse 1 to 10, John chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. Jesus was telling Nicodemus that you do not believe these things, right? You do not believe what I'm saying. That's why you don't understand. And he also made it clear that um, salvation, right, is an act of God and God alone. For a human being to be saved, the human being has to be born again, right? And that born again process doesn't need the consent of the human being. You that you are being saved, you don't play any role in the born again process. It's just like 
being born physically. Nobody was born with their own consent. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you were born, you, no one asked you for your permission. You were just born. <laughs> right? You just found yourself on this earth. No one asked for your permission. In the same way, in the spirit, Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus that in the spirit, for you to be born again, you God doesn't need your permission. Then, from verse 11 to 21, Jesus began to um, say things like, whosoever believes in John 3, in verse 16, he was saying things like, whosoever believes in him should not perish. So, on one hand, he's saying that God is sovereign and he, he does all things. I mean, he imposes, he's an irresistible force. When he comes and when he moves, nobody can resist him, right? But on another hand, what he's trying to say is that you have a part to play, you have a responsibility in this whole salvation thing, in that you have to believe. Because he says, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Those who believe in him are not condemned. Those who don't believe in him are already condemned. Alright, so here, you see the, the, the reason why I'm saying there are parallel truths that are both true but do not mix. So here, there's a full responsibility on you as a person to either accept or not accept God. And on the other hand, God doesn't need your permission to do anything. Another example, Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, right? Jesus was speaking and he said that all things are given to me, right? And he's, he went on to say that no one can know the Father unless it is revealed to him. No one can know the Son unless it is revealed to him. Then the very next thing that he says after that is, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. So on one hand, he's saying that you can't come unless God, unless the Father draws you. Then the very next verse, he says, Come. <laughs> Come unto me, all ye. Now, do you understand what is going on here? God is sovereign and it is true. Your will counts and it is also true. The two are parallel. They don't contradict. John 6, 35 to 37, Jesus was blasting the people and he said that it was after he had said, I'm the bread of life. I mean, if you eat my, my flesh, you drink my blood, you have eternal life. He told the people that you do not believe me even though you've seen me. Even though you've seen me, you still do not believe me. So, on one hand, he's trying to tell them that the responsibility of salvation is on you. You are hearing the things I'm saying, you are seeing the things I'm doing, but you still don't believe. Why don't you believe? Then the very next thing he says, in, in, in going right down to verse 37, John 6, from verse 35 to verse 37, the very next thing that he says is that all the Father has given to me, they will come to me. And then in verse 44, he says something even more extreme. He says that no one can come to me unless the, the Father draws him to me. So what he's saying is that, on one hand, he's saying that you have the responsibility of believing. And it's all you. That's all you. And on another hand, he's saying you can't even come unless my Father draws you to me. Right? Look. Let, let me chip this one in here, right? There's this guy called Saint Augustine, right? Um, he is one of the um, greatest contributors to the Christian faith. He made a statement. He was talking about um, 
um, the fall of man, right? And the reason why we cannot accept God right now in our fallen state. And he said that before the fall of man in the garden, human beings were given two things by God. One was called Labirium Abitrum, which is freedom to choose anything, free will, right? Another one was called Libertas, which is the power to do good. And he said that the moment we disobeyed God, we lost the Libertas, the power to do good, but we retained the Labirium Abitrum. But the Labirium Abitrum was tilted towards disobeying God you understand what i'm saying so right from the time that we disobeyed god we maintained our free will but we lost the power to do good that is the reason why the bible you, you see in many places the bible keeps saying that the heart of man in this is desperately wicked the heart of man is desperately wicked all the things that man thought in his heart were evil continually the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it Alright, the reason why the Bible keeps saying these things is, and um, Ephesians says that we're dead in our sins. We are dead in our sins. What that means is that in our natural state, in our natural fallen state, there is no way we can choose God. If we put Jesus on the left and we put anything on the right, shoes, even a cow on the right, and we say choose between Jesus and the cow, right? A secularist or a humanist believes that you have the power or the ability to choose either Jesus or the cow and you can lean towards either good or bad with the same amount of power. And the Bible is saying this thing is not true because naturally, in our fallen state, in our condemned state, in our sinful state, we we lack the power to choose God. And that is what Jesus is talking about here. That unless the Father draws you to him, you can never ever come. That is the reason why salvation is 100% God. Alright? But again, he is putting all the responsibility on you. And he's saying that unless you also come, you, unless you believe and you come to him, you will remain where you are. So again, it puts 100% of the responsibility on you. And it sounds impossible, but both are true. Both of them are true. In Acts 2, verse 22, right? Another example. Peter was speaking and he was telling the people that after the Holy Ghost came on them on the day of Pentecost and everything, he was speaking and he said that Jesus was delivered unto you by the predetermined counsel of God. But you, you people, you were the ones who nailed him to the cross. So on one hand, right, Jesus was handed over to them to be killed by the predetermined counsel of God. It was going to happen by all means. But at the same time, those who participated in the killing, namely Pilate, Caiaphas, um, um, the, the Pharisees, um, the soldiers, the Bible says that they will not be held guiltless. In fact, their homes will be, will, will be, will, will be there. They will, it will become desolate. 
This was what Jesus was talking about when he says that offenses will come, but woe to whom through him they, they come. It's not because God doesn't know specifics. He knows. But at the same time, you, the person, you will have the choice to choose whether or not to do good or evil. You have the choice between good and evil presented to you every time. And that choice will always come down to your strongest inclination at the time that you are given the choice. Do you understand what is going on here? The sovereignty of God, free will of man. Can they coexist? Yes, they can. There are two truths that are parallel. They can never mix. But in the mind of God, they make sense. In our mind, they don't make sense. Let me give you another example. Maybe you know, one or two examples. An example of sovereignty, right? Romans 9, verse 12 to 14, right? This is one of the most controversial ones. <laughs> this is one that, I mean, it, it just hits the nail right on the head. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Have you seen that scripture before? Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And then in verse 14, you know, so um, um, God is speaking and he says, Look, I've loved Jacob. I've hated Esau. Why? Is it, is it by, I'm the one who is doing it. You can't tell me what to do, please. And then he goes on to say, I've even ordained that the younger should be greater than the older one. I'm the one who is doing all these things. Then verse 14 asks, is there, so what does this mean that is God unfair? Is there any unrighteousness in God? Then verse 15, he continues to say, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will harden who I want to harden. And in verse 20, he says, who are you to even question me? Oh man, who are you to question God? Who are you? All this is a statement of his sovereignty. What, what is he saying by these things? He's saying that he does what he likes. You can't advise him. You can't tell him to stop what he's doing. At a point, he even, said, he even asked, can a clay ask the potter, what are you doing? Isn't the potter at liberty to use a certain clay for, you know, a vessel that will be to Anna and another vessel to this Anna? Isn't he, isn't he at liberty to do what he wants? Can the clay ask him, hey, why are you making me like this? <laughs> you understand? But then in Romans 10, this is God speaking you know, in Romans 9, and in Romans 10, God speaks again and he says, I wish that Israel would be saved. And they have the zeal to be saved. But their zeal is without knowledge. And then he continues to say in verse 4 that Christ is available for all who believe. So on one hand, he's saying that he has the total sovereignty. He does what he likes. And you can't do foco about it. Then in verse 4, he begins to say Christ is available to all who believe. In verse 8, he says that um, um, with the heart, man believes unto, uh, unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Then the, the scripture we like, faith comes by hearing, in verse 17, that's Romans 10. He says that, um, how would they hear? If, if, if there's no preacher, how would they hear? If they, know, if they don't hear, how would they believe? Because faith comes by hearing, and, and hearing comes by the word of God. So on one hand, 
God is saying, look, I'm sovereign. Don't ask me any questions, please. I do what I like. And on the other hand, he's saying that preach the gospel. Because if you don't preach, they can't hear. If they don't hear, then they won't believe. If they don't believe, then they can't be saved. Do you get what is going on here? Full responsibility for salvation on you. Full responsibility for salvation on God. In our mind, it is not possible. And it can never be possible. Because they are mutually exclusive. But in God's mind, they are very, very possible. It works. It works. It works perfectly. We cannot harmonize them in our mind. But in God's mind, they are easily, easily harmonizable. Because in his sovereignty, he has both the wisdom and the power to make things happen. To make our choices work for his purpose. For instance, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. Joseph's brothers came to him and he said, look, our father is, they told themselves, our father is dead. Let's go and beg this guy because we really wronged him. When they went to Joseph, Joseph told them, you meant it for evil. All those things that you did, selling me into slavery, I mean, you meant it for evil, but God turned it around for my good. And in fact, God used what you did to work for his purposes so that all these many people will be saved. Do you understand what is going on here? The reason why we call Good Friday Good Friday is because that was the day that the whole world got saved, right? That was the day Jesus died and saved all of us from sin. But at the same time, Jesus died though. He died. Death is not a very good thing. Why do we call it Good Friday? Because that bad thing that happened on that day, that lynching that happened on that day, that they beat him and they scourged him and they nailed him to a cross and lifted him up naked in the open, gasping for breath. That thing was predetermined by God to happen. But it worked for our good. 2 Corinthians 2 um, says that if the princes of the world knew they wouldn't have crucified the king of glory. They wouldn't. They, they wouldn't have done that. If they knew that this guy's death would have brought liberty, they wouldn't have done it. So in the end, the wicked choices, starting from Judas to the Pharisees, the soldiers, all the evil that they did, it worked for the good of the whole world. And it is in, it is only God that can work it out for it to be like that. That we make real choices. We are not under any obligation or any force. Or Look, when Joseph's brothers were selling Joseph into slavery, nobody forced them. Oh. <laughs> they made their own choice. No, God didn't force them. God didn't rob them of their freedom. Nothing. They did everything on their own accord. But in the end, everything that they did was according to God's plan. And God, God showed his sovereignty through their free will, through their choices. Alright, so let's bring this to a close. Okay. When you say, right, when you when you um ask the question that the omniscience or the sovereignty of God is something that cannot be possible or cannot coexist with our free will and that we are predestined to do what God wants anyway. 
that question is a question of predeterminism in philosophy. There's something called predeterminism. Predeterminism means that all of us are hardwired to act and think in a certain way. Alright? You can look at it as nature versus nature. Where your nature predisposes you to a certain type of behavior. It's like no matter what you do, you will end up like this. Your nature may provide a different environment, but it's the same thing, okay? This question is trying to suggest that no matter what we do, we will, there's only one outcome that our lives can have in God's eyes because he knows everything, right? So since God knows everything and we are wired to think in a certain way and he already knows every choice we are ever going to make and nothing surprises him, this means that we are totally, completely determined, right? But if this is true, then the question is this, were you free to ask this particular question you are asking about free will and sovereignty and all that? Were you hardwired to ask this question? Or did you sit down and say to yourself, I think this is a good question, I, I want to ask this question. Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? If it is true that we're predetermined, then the question is that were you free to ask this question? If your answer is yes, then it means that you are making a truth claim. What is a truth claim? A truth claim is anything that you do or anything that you say, right? Any action that you take without um, the contribution of any external forces like you generated it yourself by your own analysis and by your own evaluation. If it is true that you exercise your free will in asking this question, then I humbly submit that you have made a truth claim. And if you have made a truth claim, that is that is the first law of predeterminism that nobody should be able to contribute to what you are doing. Otherwise, you are predetermined. But if nobody pushed you into asking this question, then you are not predetermined. What does it mean? It means that your, your free will is actually valid. You, that you are actually exercising it right now. Alright. So this is what I'll leave you with. I mean, it's been, a, it's been quite a ride today, right? Philosophy, theology, scriptures and all that. This is what I'll leave you with. There are things that are infinite. Or, or someone who say infinite, depending on the school you're attending. Um, there are things that will never make sense to a finite mind. Like you and I, we are finite beings. We are not infinite. We don't live in infinity or eternity. We live in a definite finite world, right? And there are things that, there are certain questions that can never make sense. We can never have answers to. Like, where do parallel lines meet? I mean, this is not a question we can answer. For these questions, we only accept that they are truth and they exist. And we take our parts and we execute them to the best way we can. The best way we know how. For us to answer the question of predeterminism, um, predestination, our free will and God's sovereignty, we will have to enter God's mind to do that. 
and um, Romans states. Please check the description for all the scriptures, okay? The book of Romans says, Romans 9, says, Who has known God's mind? You can never, ever know God's mind. Who gives him advice? Who can counsel God? No one can counsel God. And actually, interestingly, it goes back to our theory, which says that um, if there's an irresistible force and an immovable object, if the object doesn't move, then it means that the irresistible force is not resistible anyway. If these are things that we can easily understand, then what makes God God? Because we know everything He knows, and we can understand everything He understands. Then what makes Him God? Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. So Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to God. But the things that he has revealed to us is for us and our children. So dear listener, the answer that I'll give you is this. God has given us the gift of faith to be able to believe him and to be able to make choices that will end in salvation. I entreat you to follow those choices. Believe in the word of God and leave the things that belong to God to God. Otherwise, you waste your time asking questions that your your finite mind can never give you the answer to. The word of God says, trust God. That is all I can say. And as, as much as you are comfortable with that, if you can comfortable with God being God, and that there are certain things that he alone knows and it's okay like that then you're on your way to becoming um, a a wiser person because there's no wisdom that can exist outside God alright so thank you very much for listening Um, you can also send me your questions askbuddy at gmail.com askbuddy at gmail.com or you can send me a whatsapp message it can be a voice note, it can be a text or a selfie video. Plus 233-200-864-673. Plus 233-200-864-673. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. We'll meet again. Bye.